All Saints Day. That's today. I, ha- I can't remember when it fell on a Sunday last. It's been a long, long time. And I've never talked about All Saints Day, uh, let alone Reformation Day. So today I want to kind of talk about both of them and give some insight because I believe many of us at Hope Fellowship and most in the Western church, we don't have a clue about what Reformation Day is about or All Saints. We just flippantly say, at least I have flippantly said, that's just part of somebody else's tradition. Well, technically, it's part of your tradition too. I, I grew up Baptist and... Uh, uh, believe me, if we were asked to, to reveal who our early church fathers were, they'd only be about 400 years old. The real early church fathers were Catholic. That'll freak out any Baptist. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, like we've got a lot to learn, folks. Uh-oh, come on. Comp- this is frustrating. Mm. Here we go. Sorry, I'm having some slight tech stuff. Today's been kind of a... <clears throat> morning already, but that's okay. There's lots we're going to learn today. There's some good things coming. So All Saints Day, where does this begin? Um, Reformation Day is what we're going to start with, and then we'll come back to All Saints Day, because yesterday was Reformation Day, or Halloween. Same day. Reformation Day is a religious holiday celebrated on October 31st for the last weekend, or the last weekend in October, in remembrance of the Reformation. And there's a picture of Martin Luther, because he nailed thesis up on a wall, on a door. Oh, those are Reese's, not thesis. Who snuck that onto my slideshow? Those are Reese's pieces. No, 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 thesis. He wrote 99 thesis for, that was a Halloween pun. Anyway, uh, 95 uh, things he had issues with, uh, with uh, the Catholic Church. And he was part of the Catholic Church. Uh, a teacher, and, and we have a number of pictures from history of him. Kids, do you recognize this picture? Who's that? That's Lego Martin Luther. Okay? He rocks. Anyway, that's a really thick book, is to write that small in 95 things. Anyway. So this, this is kind of cool. The truth written here of Reformation Day uh, is a sweeter treat than Halloween candy. On October 31st, 1517. All right? That's a long time ago. Pastor and professor Martin Luther nailed the list of 95 arguments, thesis, on a church door in Germany. Back then, that's how you started a discussion. Luther's arguments gained wide acceptance and were sent throughout Europe via newly invented printing press. We have printers. We just hit print and it goes. But nope, it was a lot harder back then. Central to his concern was that the Roman Catholic Church had deviated from the Bible's simple teaching that you can be made right with God only by faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that a little later. These are important uh, topics. This is a picture of the uh, church. This is the Wittenberg Church. And it was on that church door Martin Luther nailed his thesis or arguments. Here is the actual door. And what they've done now, they've made it into bronze and they engraved all the 95 into that thing. This past week is the first time I ever read all 95. It's a very fast read. And a lot of it's repetitious, a lot of repeating. But 
honestly, folks, if you want to see the kind of heat that Martin Luther was taking, um, I, I was talking to Pastor Hans, Lutheran church pastor here this morning, and he gave me a bunch more info, so I had to change my sermon. Hence the PowerPoint change, Terrell. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> um, but all this neat info about Martin Luther, I just didn't know, or if I did, I totally forgot because I didn't care about retaining it. Now I'm starting to see, wait a minute, those who've gone before us have paid a heavy price for us. And I asked him about uh, Tyndale, because Tyndale, uh, William Tyndale, he's the one who um, converted the, uh, translated the Bible into English. And he paid his, with his life, they burned him at a stake. And that was a couple days ago, um, not days ago, but it was, the anniversary was a couple days ago, uh, whenever that was. But Martin Luther, why wasn't Martin Luther burned at the stake? Because he was doing the same kind of stuff, and I don't know the history yet. Hans gave me a small little snippet, but apparently he had some protection from the Pope and some other um, cardinal bishop guy. And they knew that Martin Luther could make or break them. <laughs> so they danced carefully, and he got away with it, and thank goodness he did. Uh, but that's, that's the picture of that. So then, I didn't realize this until, um, uh, well, I, this morning was another, <laughs> another wake-up call. Uh, Martin Luther translated the Latin New Testament into German. And later, he translated the Old Testament. Now, if you, any Germans, they know the Luther Bible. That's the only Bible they have that, that's in German, the Luther Bible. There might be other translations now, but I remember growing up, the Bibles we all had in our German church was Luther. So... That's kind of how it worked. Now, he hid himself away for, <coughs> for a long time, sequestered himself, and this is the place he did it. And this is where he actually trans did the translation work of the New Testament. There's a neat castle that, well, I have to sequester the castle. Gee, twist my arm. But anyway, no, that's okay. Um, uh, in the Alps would have been awesome. But anyway, this is where he's at, and this is the actual location of where Martin Luther did the translation work. If you didn't know this, this, this kind of history will be a lot of fun. And all of you historians, uh, you're going you're gonna to appreciate that. Here he says, Unless I'm convinced by proof from the Scriptures or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract. He was ordered to retract. For it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Wow, that's the big famous line. If you've never heard the line, you just did. You're going to hear it again. I want to now go back, back and watch the movie Luther because the things I've learned this morning even suddenly put some players into place and now I'm realizing I need to re-watch that movie not only to catch the heat he was taking but also why he put the 95 Theses up. This is huge. Martin Luther posted a proposal at the doors of a church in Wittenberg, Germany, to debate the doctrine and practices of indulgences. When I read through the 95, that was the predominant theme of indulgences. And what is indulgences? I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, this proposal is popularly known as the 95 Thesis, which he nailed to the castle church doors. This was not an act of defiance or proclamation, as sometimes thought. Since the castle church faced Wittenberg's main thoroughfare, the church door functioned as a public bulletin board and was therefore the logical place for posting important notices. Also, these theses were written in Latin. These were written in Latin so common folk could not read them. The language of the church and not in the vernacular. This is, this is big. So what's with these 
95. Why did he write 95? Well, I never heard of this guy until this morning. Hence all the PowerPoint changes. Uh, Jonathan Tetzel um, was a, a Holy Roman Empire Dominican friar. Uh, you know, like French fry? No, I'm kidding. And preacher. He was appointed inquisitor for the Poland and Saxony, uh, later becoming the Grand Commissioner for indulgences, indulgences. He was commissioned to go and collect and sell indulgences. And I'm going to show you a picture of one of the actual indulgences in just a moment. Tetzel was known for granting indulgences on behalf of the Roman Catholic Church in exchange for money, which are claimed, listen to this, here it is, to allow a remission of temporal punishment due to sin, the guilt of which has been forgiven, a position heavily challenged by Martin Luther. This contributed in part to the Reformation, and the main usage of the indulgences sold by Jonathan Tetzel was to help build, uh, to help fund and build the St. Peter's Basilica. This is this is where money was going. They were raising funds. They were tricking people. Well, I'll be careful how we use that because indulgences, I don't think they're um, endorsed any longer. But they were used to pay for your forgiveness or, here it is, to buy someone's re- um, way out of purgatory. So the bigger the indulgence, the faster your friend can get out of purgatory or your relative or your loved one or your child. Like, they guilted like crazy. And this is, what, this is what Martin Luther was railing against. He saw the injustice of it. And this is what one of the indulgences looked like. It was written in Latin. So you're selling this Latin piece of paper that nobody can read because they couldn't read Latin. So fancy looking, nice script. That's all, you know, I think they might even have German. I don't know. But this is, that's what one would look like. Reformation Day, the public event sparked numerous challenges and questions. When he nailed those 95 theses to the door, it was the beginning of even more going on. Like, I, by the way, this uh, the uh, John Tetzel guy, I wondered why um, uh, it was 95 theses, and Pastor Hans was telling me, and I, haven't, I tried to look it up fast, but I couldn't do it fast enough, but Apparently, this uh, John, Johann guy, he did 94 theses as to why the indulgences were allowed. So Martin Luther had to one-up him. <laughs> and so it was 95. <laughs> I thought it was funny. But uh, the two of them bantered back and forth. In fact, I, I read this morning that when, when Tetzel died, uh, Martin Luther did his funeral and did a glowing ceremony for him. A little bit, okay, a lot of grace there with somebody that really fought him hard and saw opposing views. That's a lesson for the church today. When you have brothers and sisters in Christ who attack one another because of a varied perspective on Scripture or a theological text, and you become arch enemies, um, that, that's, look, to see Martin Luther reach out after, or in fact, when he found out he was sick, he went, I think he went and visited him, uh, but to, and then to speak well of him at his funeral, that tells you what we should be like. Yes, our convictions matter, but not the expense of becoming unloving. Got to remember that, especially these days when social media is so rich of opinions that flow from, I got too much time in my hands, or some that sit and have many glasses of wine and, and post and comment and don't make sense anymore and cause more fights. Like, honestly, uh, we got to watch that. It's, it's getting nasty. While the 95 Theses reflected a calling out of the Catholic Church on indulgences, the list included a number of other topics worth reading about. 
This is not the end, but the beginning. This is the beginning of calling out questions. And by the way, this is not the first time questions came out. Through the entire history of the church so far, there have been councils, there have been arguments and meetings, varying views that uh, were sparred on, and they feasted on sparring because there's value in seeing other perspectives and then finding deeper meaning and, and, and even finding loopholes and realizing maybe my lens wasn't quite, quite correct because this other argument is making so much more sense now, and you grow and you mature in your, in your journey. One of the big things that he talked about, Martin Luther, that he's known for, if you didn't know about the indulgences, you may have heard of this at least. But this is about being saved by faith, not works. The Reformation was the great rediscovery of the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ for Christ's sake. Unlike the predominant teaching that you could be saved by your works and indulgences. Wow. How would you like to get saved by paying off the priest? <laughs> Yeah, then you can do whatever you want because you got the paperwork. I don't know. But this sparked a whole outcry and a whole bunch of new questions. Because take a look at this diagram. You may not be able to see it uh, on your small screen, especially if you're on a phone. There's no way you'll see this. But basically, this is a picture. And I took this from the Lutheran uh, handbook. Um, I found the picture online, but I saw it in the Lutheran handbook <coughs> of how uh, the church began to split. And I find it interesting, if you look across the top, uh, it begins with Pentecost, okay? That's where the church began. Then it, it's called the Holy Catholic Church. Does that freak you out? It shouldn't. Does anybody know what the word Catholic means? Anyone? Yes. It means universal. We are part of the universal church of Jesus. Okay? You and I, all of us. So Catholic are you Catholic? Well, I can say, yeah. Are you Roman Catholic? No, I'm not Roman Catholic. I'm Catholic. So you got to understand, there's just to think Catholic, it's not that way at all. In fact, there are so many Roman Catholics that love Jesus deeply. And, and I love the, the Reformation that's happening even within the, the Roman Catholic Church now and the, the awakening that's happening. Like, you wouldn't believe how many denominations are in the Roman Catholic Church. There's a lot. There's a charismatic group. There's you name it. There's, there's a lot. And so this expresses the diversity of the church. Not call, it's not so much about why are there so many splits. Because it's easy to look at all the denominations and all the splits and go, look, see, they can't even get along. Well, guess what? In this room alone right here and those watching, there are, there's a varied group of opinions of how we see all kinds of topics, and it shows the beautiful colors of who we are. And we as a body of Christ make beautiful art that God has put together and has awakened these blotches of colors and blah, 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 you know. Even the colors you think, ooh, that was a mistake, is not a mistake. It adds a rich texture to the art of the body of Christ. It wasn't a cue for tattoos, but they're kind of cool. The idea of art. <laughs> but take a look at this for a moment. Holy Catholic Church. At the top, we have the Orthodox Church, modern Eastern Orthodox Church today. That is the only tribe, group of people, church uh, package that has not changed a whole lot. They have retained their foundational beliefs, their core doctrines from way back. Okay? That, in all honesty, and you would be shocked to find the grace 
in their doctrine. Let me do a sneak peek. This idea of, uh, I'm going to pick hell for a minute because that's an easy one. Ha, just kidding. It's a controversial one. But the idea of hell, the idea of an eternal uh, um, torment, eternal conscious torment, is not part of their history. Oh, wait, neither is it part of Israel's history in the Old Testament. It's not part of their history. They don't believe in that. So where does it come from? That's for another sermon. Then we have the Roman Catholic Church comes out of this. So all of us today come from this. If you're not Orthodox, you are part of the fruit of the Roman Catholic Church and the early church fathers. Your early church fathers were all Catholic. What? Yes. And it's not a bad thing. Okay? So out of the Roman Catholic Church comes the Anabaptists, which comes the Baptists, which comes the Amish, the Mennonite, the Lutherans come out of the Reformation. The Presbyterians come out of the Reformation. That's pretty cool. Then out of that comes the Dutch Reformed, which is the Christian Church, Church of Christ, Reformed, Disciples, blah, blah, blah. Over here we have the German-Swiss Reformed, or United Church even, Congregationalists. That's interesting. And the Unitarian comes out of that as well. Church of England. Quakers come out of that. Anglican Episcopal comes out of that. American Methodists, modern Methodists, Pentecostals. See, they stuck them down here at the bottom. But it's just kind of funny. But the whole idea here, this is a, a snapshot that we're not alone. None of us are. We're not alone in our beliefs. We're not right all the time. We don't have all the good news. We have a revelation that's been given to us. And when we begin to explore all these other tribes and groups, we realize we're one family with multiple perspectives loving the same Jesus. This is huge. Next. I hope that gives you a quick snapshot into what All Saints Day is. I want to read this thing um, that uh, Henry Nouwen sent out this morning, uh, his ministry on All Saints Day. And I thought this was really helpful because this... This was my initial thought for my message today, and then history kind of took over, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Oh, my goodness, what time is it? Oh, oh, my goodness, time's flying. Shoot. All right, two-part sermon. <laughs> this is great. Saintly Counselors is the title of this devotional. <clears throat> In the past, the saints had very much moved to the background of my consciousness. This is uh, Henry saying this. During the last few months, they re-entered my awareness as powerful guides on the way to God. I read the lives of many saints and great spiritual men and women, and it seems that they have become real members of my spiritual family. Imagine that. Always present to offer suggestions, ideas, and advice, consolation, courage, and strength. It is very hard to keep your heart and mind directed towards God when there are no examples to help you in your struggle. Without saints, you can easily settle for less inspiring people <clears throat> and quickly follow the ways of others for who, for a while, seem exciting, but or who are not able to offer lasting support. I'm happy to have been able to restore my relationship with many great saintly men and women in history who, by their lives and works, can be real counselors to me. This idea of... All Saints Day is really important. We're going to come back to, well, we'll see how far I go. Let's, I'm going to try. The idea of remembering, why do we have All Saints Day? Why bother? Uh, it, it, it's an honest question. Well, take a look at the Old Testament for a minute. They, the Jewish history has a, a whole calendar of festivals 
and things to celebrate, to remember certain parts of their history. Uh, the, the Passover is, is the, begins from Egypt when they left Egypt and the angel passed over the homes. And then it was turned into the, the Lord's Supper. Well, we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper as believers. What about Christmas? No, it does not say in the Bible to remember Christmas. Shock, shock. Not at all. It's not mentioned. It's just a cool story. And we, as a tradition, have chosen to commemorate that day of the incarnate arriving. This is really important. So the reason we celebrate Christmas is to celebrate the coming of Christ so we don't forget. Easter, that's talked about. To remember the resurrection, that it happened, and the absolutely changed lives. If you remember, um, when Jesus was arrested in the garden, uh, the, what did the disciples do? We're going to stand and fight with our lives. No, they took off. Yikes, I'm out of here. And they were gone. You know, they, they valued their lives too much. They didn't know, and they were afraid. And it wasn't until after they saw Jesus... After they witnessed the resurrection, nobody could shut them up. Everything changed. They're not going to die for a lie. Okay? They would have done that in the garden. It had to have happened. Birthdays. Why do we remember birthdays? For the joyous occasion. When kids have birthdays, they love the cake, the lights, the candles, the, the presents, and all the attention. You know, that's fun for, for you and I. You know, some of us don't like the attention. Nope, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done at 50. I'm 50 again. Anyway, it's kind of fun. Wedding anniversaries. We celebrate those for strength, especially when the numbers go way up there. <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving. Why do we do that? To remember to be thankful for all we have. Remembrance Day is coming up. The price paid for peace. It's not to glorify war. It's to remember the price paid for peace so you can enjoy your freedom. I'll be, we'll be dealing with that on November 11th, coming up. All Saints Day is about remembering those who have gone before us. Oh, shoot, I can't see the bottom of that. Why? Oh, well, I'll have to figure that out. That's, I haven't seen that for a while. So anyway, we remember those who've gone before us, those who've gone before us in faith, those who fought for our faith. William Tyndale is one example, and there's tons of examples. I'm just picking some bigger names that the Western church would recognize. You know, Martin Luther, somebody to remember for what he did to call to attention what he saw as injustice and money grabs. This is big. In the early days of the church, the Christians were accustomed to solemnizing the anniversary of martyrs, uh, death for Christ at the place of martyrdom. In the 4th century, neighboring dioceses began in, uh, in, to interchange feasts, to transfer relics, to divide them, and to join to a common feast, as is shown by the invitation of St. Basil of Caesarea 397. See, they've been doing this way back then, okay, um, to the bishops of the province of Pontius. Frequently, groups of martyrs suffered on the same day, which naturally led to a joint commendation. In the persecution of this, uh, the Dicilician, however you pronounce that, I don't know anymore, um, the number of martyrs became so great, here it is, that a separate day could not be assigned to each, but the church, feeling that every martyr should be recognized, appointed a common day for all. Hence, all saints day, choosing one day of the year to remember. We've never done that here at Hope Fellowship that I'm aware of. <clears throat> Personally, I've never done that. Um, uh, first, the, the first the trace 
the, the first trace of this we find is in Antioch on the Sunday after Pentecost. We also find mention of the common day in the Sermon on St. Ephraim and Caesarean in 373, and on and on and on. This comes from the Catholic Encyclopedia of 1907. So this brings us to the question of a saint. What makes a saint? What is a saint? Well, we're going to come back to that next week. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you see this, but I, have a, I, have a, I want to share with you some definitions and then show you some scriptures that talk about saints in the scriptures. In fact, I encourage you to look some up this week and discover how many times the word saint is used in the New Testament. Uh, you're going to be surprised. So today is All Saints Day. How about we realize that our sainthood does not come necessarily from our actions? It does not always come from good or bad behavior. Our sainthood is usually contributed by other saints. I look back. In fact, this is a good practice to do. I've looked back and observed and thanked God for individuals who have influenced my life from growing up till now. And there are some key influencers who made a complete pivot, helped me pivot completely in a different direction than I was going by their influence of love, understanding, and care. When I'm struggling with my own identity, feeling like a shameful, no good for nothing person, certain people stepped in at just the right time to not let me listen to my lies and spoke truth and spoke inspiration. But my thick skin of shame was so thick, it took multiple people at different times in my life to speak into it, and I'd still have trouble with it some days. Look back and thank God for the parent who may have spoken to you. Or one of your friends growing up, their parent may have spoken to you and spoke something encouraging. It might not even have been about Jesus. They were just kind. They were accepting. Certain teachers, yeah, I remember certain teachers all right. But anyway, there's other really good ones who are kind, who influenced you. In fact, teachers are probably one of the most influential people. They can make or break a person's future. Not that they can or can't. It means they can help set a direction. If it's a negative direction, that person needs to figure that out themselves. They can't blame the teacher. Okay? We can't blame anybody. We can learn from it. I've had a... Um, uh, one, in fact, what made me want to become a pastor was a guy named Lauren Hamp. <laughs> uh, I was at a German Baptist church in Kitchener, and we finally got an English-speaking pastor. Oh, was I happy. And uh, this guy comes out on the stage, and you thought I'm animated. Ha! This guy was super animated, especially in a Baptist church. Oh, my goodness. He was like, hi, folks! And like with his bushy beard and everything. Like, he was awesome. He, he was like a Keith Green look. <laughs> But the very first Sunday, I was shocked into observing. I didn't goof around. I was captivated by his passion for Jesus. I was captivated by his way of grabbing my attention and me wanting to hear more. I even remember the first hymn number he started the service with. Can you believe that? Hymn 111, in my heart there rings a melody. Anyway, if you remember that song. Anyway, I will never forget that. That's imprinted in my brain forever. And here's the best part. At the end of the service, as we're all leaving, and, and some churches, I don't know if they still do it, but pastor stands at the door, and everybody, hey, great sermon, ha-ha, you know, whatever. They do their lines, and they do the, the obligatory handshake thing. 
And I go to the back door, and he kneels down and scrubs my head. Hey, fella! That's how he said it. Hey, fella! And messed up my hair. And uh, he says, how are you? And blah, blah, blah. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And out of my mouth comes, I want to be a minister just like you. Oh, yeah. Seven years old. Don't underestimate the influence of love and kindness and the overflowing joy of the Spirit in you. Some people will use words, others won't. All Saints Day, Lauren is a saint in my mind. And there are many others. Many, I had Sunday school teachers, some that were just mean old, mean. And then, then I, I got long ears to pull, prove it, not from mask uh, thingies, but from being pulled. And then there were other ones that were just kind and gentle to me and spoke past my behavior and spoke into my life. I want to be like that. I've not been successful. But I, every step forward, I want to remember that. Who are the saints who've gone before you? Thank them. Send them a note. If it's somebody you haven't heard from for years and years and years and you remember them, if God puts their name in your mind, reach out to them and thank them for their influence. But it was legalistic. Who cares? It was the love of Jesus coming out, not a theology. Thank them. Because you are the person you are because of their content and their ingredient into your life. And you are doing the same thing for others. I hope you'll take that to heart today. All right. See, aren't you glad I'm... <laughs> there we go. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for the saints who've gone before us. I pray that next week we discover we actually are saints as well. And what does that mean? Thank you for Martin Luther and the guts he had to um, confront what he saw as injustice. Thank you for others who've done it in their spheres of influence. May we stand and grow. May we not back down from our convictions, but when we push our convictions that we may be loving and listen to what your Spirit says for us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.